Podcasts are great at building relationships, not just doing transactions. Mm-hmm. So it, it could be an author with a, with a book that's coming out, especially nonfiction authors. It could be a coach or a consultant that really people need to know who they are, what they do, what their heart is. It could be a brand, a brand that software as a service where they've got this great platform. It's just that they're the best kept secret in the world. Hey, it's Matt. And this is Pass the Secret Sauce. In this noisy digital world, you can't break through the noise. You just add to it. Instead, you need to get in on the conversation where your ideal customers are already listening. As a Navy veteran who ran nuclear power plants and an inbound marketing engineer, Tom Schwab has a refreshingly unique approach. He focuses in on time-proven strategy, then supercharges it with today's technology and podcast interviewing marketing. An author, speaker, and teacher, Tom helps you get more traffic, leads, and raving customer fans by being interviewed on Target Podcasts. I love that. It brings back such good memories. So I, I grew up in a lower middle class family in the suburbs of Chicago. Four kids. We sat down and uh, ate quick. It was always was fun. It was always a good discussion. And uh, looking back on it, uh, it was probably always very hectic. My dad brought the dollar home and my mom stretched it out farther than any other person. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So did you grow up with any type of entrepreneurial Uh, tendencies? Were you the kid that was selling candy bars or anything like that? Or did you? I was, you know, I was the kid that was selling candy bars, was hustling to to caddy on a golf course, who not only was mowing lawns, I think I mowed my first lawn when I was in third grade for money, (laughs) but I was also hiring other people to help me do it. And so that was entrepreneurial. But I was not taught that. I was not reinforced that at all. My dad, God rest his soul, I love him, but he really taught me that find a steady job, you know, work hard at it, be loyal, and they'll take care of you and, and just you know retire. And I'll never forget, I went to the graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy, and when I got out of the Navy after five years, my dad couldn't understand it. He's like. All you got to do is put 15 more years in and you get to retire. And so at that time, he called me a fool uh, when I left the Navy, you know, before I got the retirement. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, I was working for a Fortune 500 company and I was working inside as an engineer and operations. I had a career there, but I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to go out for straight commission sales. And when I told my dad that, he called me a dang fool or words to that effect. He's like, you can't do this. You know, you've got a a mortgage. You've got a family. How could you take this risk? And, you know, he did live long enough to realize that uh, I was following my dream and made the right decisions uh, for myself. So if anything, I was, I I think maybe I was made as an entrepreneur, but I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial um, household. Interesting. Interesting. So, so you were made an entrepreneur. That's, I think you are actually maybe one of the first people that have taken that path that I've interviewed so far, um, which is interesting. Do you, do you have any insight into what gave you, like, I, I mean, obviously you were hiring your own employees as, as a young kid and, you know, we'll use quote unquote employees. 
um, but you were already starting to sort of distribute that workload. Do you have any idea where that came from? I mean, was there any inspiration, would you say, or any, anything? Maybe, it's, maybe it's um, necessity is the mother of invention. Uh -huh. If I wanted something, I had to get it myself. There was no allowance and there wasn't a lot of extra money. And so not that I wanted for a lot, but I just saw what could be done out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, early on, I had a couple of great bosses. You know, the, the first boss I had, uh, Don Elander, World War II veteran, was a, uh, a pilot, uh, a bomber pilot. And so he was the first person I ever mowed his lawn. And he taught me lots of things. It's like, you know, don't just do the job do the little bit extras mm -hmm. and, you know, to, to sweep up or uh, to, uh, to edge it. And that's what people will, will appreciate there. And that's what will make you stand out. Then my first, you know, W2 job, if you want to call it, uh, ones where I found out just how much employee taxes took out uh -huh. was in high school. And I worked for two brothers that worked, uh, they had a liquor store and they were only about 10 years older than I was. They were early 20s running a liquor store, and those were the hardest working guys there, taught me how to treat customers, and always taught me a clean store is a happy store. Mm -hmm. Don't stand around. Do something that can add value. Mm -hmm. No, love it. Love it. Yeah, that's uh, words to live by there. You know, there's always something to do. There's always something to improve, so you should always keep, keep moving, keep moving ahead, so love it. Your experience with the Navy obviously gave you some of the, the systems background and some of the insights into basically developing, developing a business that's replicatable, teachable. Can you talk a little bit about some of the approach that, you, that you've learned in the Navy or different ways to be able to look at a problem, a business, and sort of breaking that down into steps, if you will? Very very much so. And, you know, I always say my first job out of college was running nuclear power plants in the Navy. And people go, wow, that's amazing. I'm like, no, what's amazing is that there were smart people that could put the systems and the culture together so that 20-year-olds, most of them high school educated, you know, highly intelligent, highly motivated could do it. Because if the system could only be done by PhDs, there's not enough PhDs to, to run all the Navy ships out there. Mm -hmm. So it really taught me that anything can be taught. It can be systematized. It can be done reproducibly and safely. And it always frustrated me when I got out in the world. And even to this day, when people go, well, you don't understand my business. It's so much different. It's so complicated. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it can't be complicated, more complicated than nuclear power, right? Chances are, they don't understand it well enough or they haven't thought about it well enough. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I've always looked at that in any project that I was doing, any business when I was managing, it's like the first thing I will always look to is what's the process, right? Is the process broken? Is the process clear? Because often, you know, I, I would do that and blame the person. You know, 99% of us want to do a good job right? It's sure there's that 1%, but most of the time the people are highly motivated. So it's like, you've got to look and say, well, did the process break down? Did, was it not clear? What can we do to continue to improve this? And if it comes back to be, no, it's the, uh, the wrong person. Well, then I'd go back and say, well, what was your hiring process? Mm -hmm. So to me, it's this idea of pulling a rabbit out of your hat or trying to, uh, to reinvent the wheel every time that's just exhausting. 
Mm -hmm. right? One of our core values at Interview Valet is that our success comes from our systems. It's not superhuman effort. We've got great people, the, uh, the best out there. I wouldn't trade them for the world, but they can all do it and do it reproducibly because they're all running the same system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do, you, do you have any frameworks or anything like that that you've learned along the way for creating those, those reproducible systems? Because I've seen a lot of people create a, what they considered systems that had a lot of holes in it. And then I've seen people that have created systems that are very, very, very detail oriented, maybe even suit too much so. So how, how, do you, how do you find that balance between enough and too much? Right. Some of them get so overblown, right? You don't have to tell me how to turn on a light switch, right? With your left hand and your, your index finger, push the switch in an upward direction away from the floor. It's like, no, we don't need all of that. What I often do is I'll come up with the initial process and I'll think, oh, this is perfect, right? I've taken everything out of my head and put it there. But then if I try to teach it to somebody or let them do it, they'll find the holes in it. And it's like, oh, okay. Often now, I'm not the best person to write the systems for our company, right? Because I don't know what everybody does on their day-to-day -day job, right? I've, I've got a leadership team now. We've got 18 people on the team. They do it better than I can. So I always let them write it and then have them teach it to somebody else. And sometimes even when we've got uh, uh, new team members come on board, I'll tell them, what I need from you in this first 30 days is to give us feedback on the training, right? What do you see it could be done different? Ask questions why? Because in 90 days, you're going to be like the rest of us going, well, we've always done it that way. No, you've got the fresh set of eyes to look at it. So I think all of the processes have to be a living document to continue to, to learn from each other. I mean, even in the Navy, it was like that. If somebody did something on one ship, it was promulgated out to the entire entire fleet so that we could learn from it and say, hey, don't make that mistake. Makes sense. So what, what types of, uh, you, you mentioned living documents, what types of tools do you use to be able to document your processes uh, so that everyone has access to that and knows where to go and look when they have a question about your process? And that's the thing. It's like, I don't know that it's some secret platform and you've got to use this system. We use Process Street, really like that. I like Systems Hub. Asana for me is a little bit overkill. But I think even if you've got a Google document that everybody shares, you can put it in there. I think the most important part is that everybody knows where it is and everybody can access it right? I, I used to hate it when the manuals were all printed and then they were locked up someplace. And then you wonder, well, why, why didn't somebody follow the manual? Well, they couldn't find the manual. The other thing too is make it helpful. If it's just a chore to go through and do it, then it's probably not a good thing. So, you know, to me, it's not so much the system. I would say if you don't have it starting out here, use Google documents, right? Put it up there, put a folder with it. Let everybody have editor access to it so they can make changes and they, make, they can make comments because that's how it's going to get better because they've got to own it too. If it's your process manual, then I, I don't care about improving it. But if it's our process manual, 
then I've got a, a vested interest in it. Absolutely, absolutely. So your the company that you started was called uh, or is called Interview Valet. Can you talk a little bit about what it is that you guys do at Interview Valet? Sure. And this is actually the second company that I've started. The first one we built up and sold. What we do is help people talk directly to their ideal customers. Mm -hmm. In my mind, the biggest problem we all have today is obscurity, right? With your current product or service, there are thousands or millions of people that you could serve that would be thrilled to give you money for it. The only problem is they don't know you exist. So the question is not how do I break through the noise? Because honestly, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're just adding to the noise, right? It's like, it's like yelling at a ball game. Nobody's hearing you. So to me, to break through that obscurity is to get in on the conversations that are already going on, to get introduced by a trusted friend. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. And to me, that's podcast interviews. You know, a dozen years ago, we used to use guest blogs to get our message out there. And instead of putting it up on your own site, getting it seen by three people, well, put it up on one of the bigger established sites, get that no like and trust. And that's really what you're doing with podcast interviews getting on that established platform, getting introduced and getting that no like and trust to grow your brand and your business. And that's what we do at Interview Valet. So we started in 2015. We've now grown to a team of 18. It's all a remote team. So uh, there's 14 people in the United States, two in Canada and two expats in uh, Europe. And so with that, you know, the systems, the communication is more important than ever. And we serve about 100 clients at any one time. And uh, what they have in common is they're all, you know, leading brands. They could be publicly traded companies. They could be coaches, authors, consultants, but they really want to be the thought leaders. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. So you're running these remote teams. Can you talk a little bit about how you go about vetting and finding your remote team members? Yeah. And with that, you said a word that I used a lot, running the teams. Mm -hmm. And what I have learned is that you run machines, you lead teams, and especially remote teams. If there's somebody that needs to be managed, you better make sure that you're in an office and can, can be right there. I think it's important to find people that need to be led if you want remote team and not, not managed. And by that, I mean, that they're used to working on their own. They take the initiative. And that's not something that's taught in our school system, uh, that they'll find the, the answers for themselves, you know, that they're comfortable being online. 
you know, as we went into the, the lockdown and social distancing, I felt like it was nothing different for our team. We thrived in this. This is what we're used to. But a lot of times we'll go out there and um, we've gotten a lot of people from our network. Uh, we've also posted the jobs. And I've been amazed, Matt, at the people we've gotten. You know, a few of our team members are military spouses, right? They're moving around every 12 to 18 months. They can't really have a normal career. So remote, a remote career is the best for them. And, you know, uh, my last company was in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I love Kalamazoo, but the talent pool here is not as deep as it is remote work, right? And, you know, so if, if we got a snowstorm in Kalamazoo, my whole, my whole workforce might be uh, stuck at home. Whereas with a remote team, it's diverse enough that, uh, you know, it doesn't impact us. And there's also redundancy there too. So I would never go back to a, um, a brick and mortar team. I, I love this model. It's got its challenges, challenges, but the benefits largely outweigh it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're obviously in the podcast industry. Can you talk a little bit about, I know there's a lot of people that are afraid to be on podcasts or there's a, you know, just a, a stage fright, I guess you could say to it. Can you talk a little bit about what the ideal guest would bring to the table or what, what, how, how can people make themselves uh, present better on a podcast? Do you have any insights into that? Yeah. Yes. And you, you hit it as a stage, right? There's, there's physical stages and there's digital stages. And a lot of people would not get on a physical stage, right? Mm -hmm. To be in front of 10 people or a hundred people. We had one of our clients that was on a stage in front of 30,000 people. And he was nervous the night before. He's a professional speaker. And I'm like, don't worry about it. You've been on more than that in front of a podcast. And he laughed and he said, yeah, but it's not, uh, they weren't looking back at me. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people question, what do I have as an expert? And if you look at it, the, the legal definition of an expert is someone that knows more by their experience, their training, their background than the normal person. So some people are experts because they've got PhD behind their name, right? Other ones are experts because they're the old sages, right? They're the Sherpas that have been to the mountain numerous times. You know, they got some gray hair. Other ones are experts in that they're travelers, right? I'm along with you. I'm one step ahead of you. I'm going along with you. And the amazing part is, is Matt, the ones that work best on podcasts are not the PhDs because you can't relate to them often. What works best is the Sherpa, you know, the person that's got the experience or the traveler, that person that's just one step ahead of you. Uh, you know, if I want uh, parenting advice, I don't know if I want it from a, a PhD that's lecturing to me. No, let, give it to me from somebody that's, you know, you know, father of 12 and, and raised some great kids or give it to me for somebody that's, you know, two years ahead of me and knows exactly what I'm going through. So with that, I think the, the big part is, is when you're a podcast host or a podcast guest, just realize that you have something to offer the world, right? You've got an experience and, and you've got insights and podcasts aren't a gotcha medium, right? This is not 60 minutes where you're trying to make somebody look bad. No, it's just trying to get the, the insights out of there. And, you know, I always tell people that we're blessed to be a blessing, right? I've learned a lot of things in my life. People have taught me. Now it's easier than ever 
for me to teach other people, for me to share that. And I think that's what's great about the medium of podcast, that we can connect with people, we can share what we know, we can entertain and, uh, and connect and like, oh yeah, I've made that mistake too. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about the, the results that you've seen from podcasts, both, I, I guess, both what specifically has maybe one of your clients been able to achieve because of podcasts? And then also, if you have any type of data that says, you know, podcasts typically are maybe this percent more, convert more than say some type of paid medium or, or yeah. you know, some other type of advertising channel. And so in podcasts, I'd say first, is it being a guest or a host, right? Because a lot of people will say, should I be a podcast guest or a podcast host? You know, to me, that's like asking, should I be an Uber driver or an Uber passenger? Mm-hmm. It's the same platform, but there's different goals there. And so to be a host is a great way to nurture your current audience, to nurture your current leads. To be a guest is a great way to go out there and get new exposure, to get new followers, to get new leads. So I think from that standpoint, just to, to figure out what the goals are. And what we've seen on being a podcast guest, and this isn't just my opinion, we've been doing this since 2015, got over 500 clients we've worked with on over 20,000 episodes, and we, we track all of that. Mm-hmm. And some of the things we've seen is that you know exposure brings opportunity. And with that, if you're just trying to sell a widget, podcasts aren't a good place for that, right? If it's a transactional sale, uh, just, just put it up on Amazon and be a penny cheaper than the next person. But if you want to work with somebody in some relationship business, they have to know, like, and trust you, right? Uh, Rand Fishkin, who started the company Moz, said the best way to sell something today is not to sell anything but earn the respect, awareness, and trust of those who might buy. And let me give you a couple examples. Like Craig Cody, he's a CPA. He's a a fractional CFO, a great guy. He's got great stories. He's a uh, retired New York City detective. Well, he starts getting out on podcasts, talking about what he can do for small business. And all of a sudden, business owners are like emailing him the last five years of his tax, their tax returns. <laughs> uh-huh. And Craig's got to give like a disclaimer now on podcasts of don't email it to me. I'll send you a link. We'll do this securely. He's like, oh man, there is so much trust built up just in that 30 or 45 minute interview. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. You know, we've worked with other clients that are building their company and they're building their brand. Example, Gavin Zaklinski, who started Acuity Scheduling. And that was later bought by Squarespace. It was their first acquisition. You know, there's a lot of calendars out there. And I don't know what the difference between Calendly and Schedule Once and Acuity was. But you know what? I've heard, I've heard Gavin's story. I know why he started it. He started it for his mom and to solve her problem. And she started to use it with other people. He talks about his company. He talks about his values. That's the kind of company that I want to work with. I wasn't churning off of that just because somebody said, you know, we've got this new feature or, you know, we'll give you a 10% discount. It's like, no, I want to work with this company. You know, there's, we've worked with, uh, with coaches. There was one that was, you know, known in his local town and, you know, got along pretty well there, but he, he wanted to get out further. Well, 
he was like in the witness protection plan, right? Nobody knew him outside of there. But once he got out onto podcast interviews, not only did he fill his, up his one-on-one -on -one schedule, he raised his price and then he had all these people coming in and he's like, I want to serve them differently. So he started a mastermind and then another one. Right now he's got 15 paid mastermind with 10 guys in it each. Wow. And the average price on the, on the mastermind is like $500 a month. So all of that came from people getting to know, like, and trust him over the podcast. And I think that's why you see the conversion rates are so much better. Early on, I did a study and, and published this, and it's that podcasts convert 25 times better than blogs. And I've seen it quoted so many times, and it's usually misquoted. So what it is, is if you go to a blog, you know, you read it real quickly, there's a one to 2% chance that you will fill out the form and become a lead. Mm -hmm. All right. It's cold traffic there. One to 2%. That's typical for a blog on a podcast interview. If they hear you and they go to the website, it's anywhere from a 25 to 50% chance that they will fill out the form. Wow. And we've seen it go up to, you know, uh, north of 75%. Mm -hmm. So it converts 25 times better than a blog. And if you think about that, early on, I was like, no, uh, I'm skeptic, right? It's, I'm an engineer. I'm like, this couldn't be. It's got to be a glitch. It's got to be a personality. But the truth is, is if somebody has heard you for 30 or 45 minutes on a podcast interview, they've already self-selected, right? They've either, you know, I, I would say people have three reactions to me. The first one is, Tom's an idiot. All right, that's fine. I don't disagree with them, but I just know we won't work well together, right? Mm -hmm. The second group are the ones that go, hey, that was interesting. I can't use interview ballet right now, but I know Matt would, and I'll share it with him. God love those people. They're helping me too. But it's that third group of people that listen to you and go, wow, you know, interview valet works with people like me. Uh, they, they solve their problems. He understands me. I want to work with them. Those are the people that come, and those are the ones that are converting 25 times better than a blog. They come as hot leads. Can you describe who it is that Interview Valet is best suited for? Mm -hmm. So with that, we really look at a number of things. You know, One is that, that they've got a heart to serve. They're looking for the long term. They're looking to build their brand. Podcasts are great at building relationships, not just doing transactions. Mm -hmm. So it, it could be an author with a, with a book that's coming out, especially nonfiction authors. It could be a coach or a consultant that really people need to know who they are, what they do, what their heart is. It could be a brand, a brand that software as a service where they've got this great platform. It's just that they're the best kept secret in the world. And so those people are the ones that we can really, really help. You know, if you, if you know that you've got a product or a service uh, that people need to know about, that there's a high lifetime value of the customer and that your biggest problem is obscurity, we can help. Love it. I love it. This has been rallying around in my head since you mentioned it, but I, so I'm not quite sure if you're going to have an answer to this, but I, I have to ask, you mentioned that you had 20,000 uh, interviews that you guys have helped with and, and you're tracking all of this data. You've already gone into some of the conversion results. What would you say besides the conversion results is the most interesting data that you've been able to realize from 
you know, from the podcasts. Is, it, is there anything that comes to mind that is like, you know, we never even thought of this before we've when, seen this data? When we started early on, I never thought of the search engine optimization value of it, the SEO value. But every podcast you're on gives you a backlink. And, you know, that's how the search engines start to rank people. It's one of their highest value signals. And there's been a lot of changes to it. But when one site links back to another one, that's so valuable. It's basically my site saying, hey, I think the traffic, uh, I think the content on Matt's site is really good and I'm linking to it. We've got some clients that do this just for the SEO value of it. So when we look at picking podcasts, our algorithm looks at, at four things and it's really based on what's important to the, um, to the client. You know, we look at the podcast, make sure they've got the right audience, enough of the audience. We look at the website for the SEO value. We look at the reach, right? If you want to grow your Instagram following, well, let's find some podcasts with big Instagram followings. And then finally, we look at exposure with, with previous clients. Also, we're seeing a lot of clients that are repurposing the content. And I challenged our team last year when things slowed down a little bit over the holidays. I said, how much content can we get out of some of my interviews? And I was amazed, right? I took... 30 or 45 minutes to record the interview. And then they started to take it and they'd take a minute here and put a little audiogram on. I'm like, I don't remember saying that, but that's a good quote. Put that up on social media. There was different quote images, things that we could put up on Instagram. They would transcribe it and then clean it up, make me, make me sound like English is my first language. And they'd make blog posts out of it. And so we've seen a lot of clients do that. You know, I've written a lot of blogs in my life everyone felt like a homework assignment, right? But I love talking. So if I can talk and then repurpose it into other ways that people can, uh, can consume that product, to me, podcast interviews are powerful and they're just fun to do. I love it. I love it. Yeah, this is, this is fantastic. If, if people want to learn a little bit more about you or your services and your valet, what would be the best way to, to do that? Yes. And thank you for asking. And this is like a little look behind the curtain, right? So all of our studies have shown, send people to one page where they can get everything, mm -hmm. right? So if you go to interview valet with a V.com forward slash sauce, what you're going to see is an example of a welcome page. And so when you go there to interviewvalet.com forward slash sauce, you're going to see Matt's picture. You're going to see the logo for Pass the Secret Sauce. And then you'll see my picture, all my social media there. So you don't have to figure out, hey, which Tom Schwab in Kalamazoo is this? <laughs> and then give people like three ways to say yes, you know, a small yes. So we've got an assessment. If you want to know if podcast interview marketing will work for you, just take this assessment. It's like 10 questions and it will give you a score and some ideas on how you can improve it. The medium yes is I wrote a book. It's called Podcast Guest Profits, How to Grow Your Business with a Targeted Interview Strategy. I sell a lot on Google but I, or on Amazon. I give more away. If you want a free copy, just go there. And then finally, if any of this made sense to you and you're like, hmm, I'd like to explore how we could use this in my business, in our business here. Well, there's a link there and you can talk with somebody on our team to see how you could leverage targeted podcast interviews to build your brand and build your business. I love it. I love it. Thanks, Tom. This is fantastic. And uh, I'm sure we will be in touch again. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And remember, 
pass the secret sauce.